heard about your testimony, and most of the time people say, no way, you know, but I kind of really surprised you, Pat. You must have, you know, no, it's not Pastor Dan. It's Saul Keegan, that's for sure. So, uh, but we're so thankful. Thankful for Pastor Cody and his ministry with the teenagers and camp, and uh, once again, see why it's so really important. Good to see all of you here, you know, for Thanksgiving week, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Hey, I I figured it'd be about eight of us, um, you know. DT's, is 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 your grandfather, is he not feeling good this morning, obviously? He, ne- he never feels good. If you're watching online DT, you don't look good either, but, you know, um, now I feel better. Um, yeah, how's that? He said, you pick on the guy, you don't know. Yeah, trust me, he got me ahead years ago. He paid in advance, so uh, I- I'm getting it back. Also, uh, thankful for uh, this week, the shoe boxes are off. Uh, they're at the distribution center. How many ended up going over there all together? 105. So praise the Lord for that. I think oh, there's Tommy and Ann. Did you guys take them? That's right, what I heard. And all right, so you, did, you didn't take them home and keep them for yourself. Did you hand them out to your employees? No, okay. Uh, here's your bonus. Um, you know, uh, uh, no, but we're, that's exciting. And I, I, I thank you for that. I mean, I remember back years ago at our first ministry, you could do a shoebox for like 20, 25 bucks. You know, those days are long gone now. So I appreciate the financial sacrifice. Also today, uh, I know Hunter has something to be more thankful for than anybody else here today. Right, Hunter? She's still with, me. She's still with you after one year. The one year anniversary today for Hunter and Taylor. So one year. The, the first year is the hardest. <laughs> right? <laughs> Tommy heard me. I said the first year is the hardest, right? <laughs> Not a soul that's married in here agrees with that statement, so uh, take it with the sarcasm in which it was delivered. Um, But you know what? Having a good first year does help. Amen to that. I know some folks never even had a good first year. Um, So uh, good for you. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, This time our folks go out to junior church at this. Our kids are there. Most of of them are gone. The rest of them, they're going to head out with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hill. Good luck, Bill and Connie. Good, Good. Praying for you. Who else? Uh, is that Chelsea back there? I think that's Chelsea. Okay, great. Well, appreciate y'all, Junior Church. Rest of you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 11 uh, this morning. John chapter 11. If all you watching online, we're glad to have you or listening by way of audio. Uh, I know we have uh, one of our odd Baptists on the other side of the pond uh, serving. And uh, uh, Brian knows that uh, he needs to tune into this every single week because um, he needs it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just, that's sarcasm too. Brian, trust me, if he's listening on the other side of the world, he's probably shaking his head right now going, yeah, maybe turn it off. I know, who knows. John chapter 11, we are going to continue in our series. I, I, I prayed about this and I just felt strong. I want to just stay in our series. Sometimes I get off on topical for Thanksgiving, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to stay in our series that I began a few weeks ago. Uh, today our title is, uh, specifically for today, is an invite from Jesus, an invite from Jesus. But this is a part of our greater series, God, Where Are You? When you, when you feel like you've lost sight of God and don't understand what's going on, and we are studying verse by verse through John chapter 11, the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. We, most of us know the story that Lazarus is dying and the sisters send a message to Jesus who is away uh, on the other side of the Jordan River from them. And in last week, we looked at verses 3 through 6. So just in way of review, John chapter 11, verse number 3, the Bible says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick, 
When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So we looked at last week the, the, the weakness in the prayer or the message of uh, the sisters. They don't make a request. They just give Jesus a medical report. And uh, then we looked at why did God delay two days? And we saw number one, oftentimes he delays that the glory of God can be amplified, verse number four. And verse number five, oftentimes he delays to remind us and, and secure us and test us that he loves us as he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So today we're going to pick things up in verse number 7 and verse number 8 as we go on in our story. Let's read verse 7. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Let me have a word of prayer, and then let's jump into an invite from Jesus. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for uh, the invitation you've made to all humanity to trust you as their Savior and as the one who paid for the price of all of our sins that we could go to heaven. Thank you for your resurrection uh, today and this week as we study or as we celebrate things to be thankful for. There is nothing greater than we can be thankful for than that empty tomb and that we know that heaven is our home. Lord, I pray for our country today and Lord, I pray for each of us who are listening today either here in person or online. God, I pray that we would be blessed and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as we read verse 7 and 8, we are told that Jesus gathers his disciples together and notice in verse number 7 he asks them, he says, let us go into Judea again. Now, the disciples kindly remind him, uh, they, they go on in verse 8 and say, Master, which in the Greek is the Greek word for rabbi. So they're, they're saying teacher, rabbi. Why are we going there? And then they remind him the last time, as you know, if you study your Bible, you'll find the last time Jesus had been in the area of Bethany around Jerusalem, uh, they, the, the religious leaders tried to stone him and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin had basically put out an underground arrest warrant on Jesus. And so Jesus had left the Jerusalem area by Lazarus' home, if you want to think of it this way. Lazarus kind of lived in the suburbs, if you will, of, of Jerusalem. And he leaves and he goes to the other side of, of the Jordan River. Now, why this is important, if, if you don't know your Bible well or you don't understand the geography, is that when Jesus left the, the area around Jerusalem and went across the Jordan River into the area we know as Perea, um, that area, he left one jurisdiction of the Roman Empire and went into another one. You see, the Sanhedrin had a lot of power in the, in the, in the district, that, uh, the judicial area under King Herod there in Jerusalem. But they did not have much political power uh, in, in the, the, the province right next to them that Jesus and his disciples were at. Matter of fact, where Jesus went is basically the area that John Baptist did a lot of his ministry. And if you know anything as, uh, about the ministry of John Baptist, the people that he reached readily accepted Jesus as the Messiah when John Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus and his disciples are in a very politically, religiously uh, safe place. And see, the disciples, they don't understand because the disciples are thinking, 
We don't go to Bethany when the, when the messengers show up to tell you that Lazarus is sick. We don't go there to do some hands-on stuff, but instead we wait. But now that you tell us that Lazarus is going to be fine, so we know he's going to get better, but now you want to go there. Do you see the disconnect there? He's basically like, we, the disciples are going, I would have understood if we'd have gone right when the messengers got here and said, you know, it's Lazarus is really sick and, you know, we know you love him, so you race back there to, you know, Jesus to heal him, but Jesus says, no, Lazarus is going to be fine. And now all of a sudden, after two days of staying there, now Jesus says, now let's go. And the disciples are going, what, what a world are we going there for now? You see, it made no sense to them. The disciples were very comfortable with their flawed understanding of God's word and in their location of personal safety surrounded by mostly people that loved him. Ouch, I could stop right there if you think about what I just said. We get very comfortable in what we believe the Bible says, whether it's right or not, when we get comfortable with it. When it is not stretching us, we like to be in locations of safety and surrounded by people we love. I understand and I'm, I identify with the disciples in desiring to be content and I'm content with my own understanding and things and I like my, my safety. But understand as we're going to see this morning and throughout this passage that as you know the rest of the story, the growth in faith for the disciples and the location of a greater revelation of who Jesus really was in his power was not in Perea, but it was in Bethany. You know, why didn't they want to go? Well, obviously we know they didn't want to go because they were part of them. I'm sure they were afraid. Why should we go to a place where people want to kill us when we can stay in a place where people want to cook us dinner? Fear is one of Satan's greatest tools. And we live in very fearful times. And I'm not a young guy anymore. I'm not the oldest guy here in the room. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Bill. But I'm closer to you than I am to Drew. And I'm telling you, these are some unusual days. And I understand why there's a lot of fear. But unfortunately, one of the problems, is, especially in the American church, is we have a great deal of pride as well that we are very confident that we understand what God is telling us. We're very confident in how we understand God's word. There's not a real hunger for us to challenge and, and be challenged. When you combine fear and pride, boy, that's a dangerous combination. And I know that there are folks in here and you know, all of us, every single one of you, the toughest guy in here, there's things we're facing that we're afraid of. And sometimes the beginning of the healing is when we acknowledge before God and have a humble heart that maybe we don't understand everything the way that it is, but I want you to understand this morning that yes, safety in itself is not wrong and I'm not here to say that you go out and be foolish. That is not my, my intent to say that to you this morning. But here's, you know, if I can get to some of the bottom line right here. If you really want to know God and you really want to know who Jesus Christ is, 
in your own life, it's not in a safe place. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, um, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, most of you know that wonderful story and you know that God is and the Lord Jesus is depicted as Aslan the lion and remember when the characters are going through finding their way there they meet in Mr. Beaver's house and and they're asking about Aslan and the beaver says and it's one of my favorite quotes Aslan is a lion the lion the great lion oh said Susan I thought he'd be was rather a man is he quite safe I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. I love this line. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I think most Christians and, and I understand unbelievers don't have a reverence for God, but I think the bigger problem is with believers that somehow think that God is some kind of mouse or some kind of genie in a bottle or something instead of understanding that he is Aslan, the great lion. You see, Jesus in verse number seven says, let us go into Judea again. He's inviting them. That's the title of our message this morning, an invite from Jesus. Jesus is inviting them on a journey. And it's a journey that doesn't make sense to them, and it's dangerous. This is the way of faith. You know why a lot of Christians tell me, oh, my, my, I think living for God is so boring. Well, I would suggest to you that maybe you're not accepting the invite or reading the details of the invite. You're not, you're not signing up when there's only 40 slots available, so to speak. That was a tea house reference, all right? We in America are too content too focused on our plans, our safety. We often refuse to deal with root issues in our life. We choose to ignore or rationalize them. And as I look around our country today and devastated that a significant percentage of our population appears to be okay with chopping up a nine-month-old baby inside a womb, how did we get here as a nation to such wickedness and depravity? So, you know, sometimes people tell me about, oh, in the Old Testament, God, you know, these people, they were, they were so bad, but, you know, we're better than that today. No, we're not. At least when they offered children to Moloch, they were after they were born. How did we get here? I would submit one of the things is because believers today in the American church, beginning in the pulpits, by the way, are unwilling to take a stand for what is right and what is truth. It's a struggle today to get and find believers that are willing to respond to the let us go to Bethany and follow Christ. We're unwilling, if I can use a modern phrase, to follow Jesus to the danger zone. 
Now, I'm not talking this morning about salvation. If you don't know you're on your way to heaven, I'm so thankful that the Bible is very, very clear that going to heaven is a free gift that God is offering to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That there's nothing you have to do. There's no works. There's no, uh, there's no you know, confirmation. There's no nothing that you have to do. All you have to do is trust Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what I am talking about this morning is costly to the believer. I am speaking about discipleship and what it is to be a better Christian. This is why Jesus was very clear on what is required to be a disciple. Now, a lot of people use the verses I'm going to read to you uh, uh, as conversion verses and sometimes, you know, directed to the unsaved. And I'm telling you, I'm going to challenge with every, every fiber of my being from the exegesis standpoint. Is that how we say the word? Exegesis standpoint. In other words, letting the scripture say what it means in the context in which it's given. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 24. He's talking to people who believe in him. They're saved people. And he says unto his disciples, if, if, choice, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life uh, shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So if you want to use those verses and say, well, he's talking about unbelievers and, you know, they, you can gain the whole world. And there's some truth in that, some unsaved people. But then you're making salvation by works because verse 27 clearly says that when Jesus is coming back, he's speaking to disciples who've been faithful. And when they've been faithful, he's going to reward them. But he says, if you want to be one of those disciples, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You have to be willing to lose your life. You say, does that mean I might have to die? Maybe. But he goes on to say, whoever loses their life, they're the ones who really find it. For what does a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He's not talking about, in context, to the person who's an unbeliever, that if you gain the whole world and die, go to hell. Now, that's true. If you gain the whole world and die, go to hell, what good is it? That's a true statement. But in his context, he's talking to believers who don't take the invitation from Jesus, but instead decide to stay in Perea in the area of safety and in, in comfort and, and in their own understanding of what they think is godly. And, well, this is a good place here, God. And he's talking about that person that takes their life their spiritual life and wastes it away and then one day when they stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus says what have you done with the talents that I gave you and you say well I buried them in the ground and here they are Lord I I still have the ones I originally came with and you remember Jesus response is not very kindly to that kind of servant and I'm afraid that too many Christians today have bought into the idea that we can just lollygag through life without taking on any challenges or following Jesus into some danger zones in our life and in the lives of others and somehow think we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say well well done No, he's not. You see, when Jesus invites his disciples here and he says, you know, let us go, if I can prove this even more definitively, in the Greek, it's in the subjunctive mood. It's a a mood in in the Greek language that is of, of choice, of option, of possibility. It's not an imperative. It's not, Jesus didn't say, you will go with me. 
No, he said, I'm going to give you an option here, guys. Here's what we're going to do. Do you want to come? And they look at him and they say, Jesus, are you out of your mind? Why do you want to go back there? We already know Lazarus is going to be fine. What are you doing? And I imagine if I could go in my mind and I could see those disciples looking up at Jesus, I think you could see in the eyes of our Lord some steely resolve. I don't know if y'all are coming, but I'm going to Bethany. Woo! You see, most Christians will not follow unless it makes financial sense, unless it's logical. Now, I'm not admonishing here today we never need to apply our brains, but I would say this, if your Christian walk always makes sense and you always feel safe, you have not responded to the invitation of Jesus Christ. Boom. Let that hammer drop. I'll say it again. If your Christian walk always makes sense and you feel always safe and that's always your goal is to be safe, you have not responded to the invitation of Jesus to be a disciple. You might be a believer, but you ain't where Jesus wants to be. And you see, these are the times in life often when Jesus has sent me an invitation to walk to a path to follow an area of obedience that's out of my comfort zone or maybe I have to deal with something that's dangerous or maybe I have to take a stand that maybe somebody's not going to like, you know, and, and you take a loving stand and there, boy, you get, you know, I think, did you see this week Candace Cameron Burr got just, just trashed? You know, she, she left the Hallmark Channel because she got tired of it supporting. She knew what was going to happen, that the Hallmark Channel is going to be just shoving same-sex marriage down our throat. So she, of her own free will, because of her own personal beliefs that I thought everybody was supposed to be able to free to have, goes to a different channel network and is going to produce her own shows. And when she's asked about it, she says, well, I really wanted to make movies that, that embrace the traditional family. And the LGBTQABCD hashtag copyright sign, that crowd, woo, they're, they're on her. I'd encourage you, go find her Facebook wall and put a note on there and say, I, you know, stand strong, girl. Talk to your brother. Talk to Kirk. Stand strong. Yes. Why is it that supposedly the population of the LGBTQ crowd is probably, even if you put all their supporters, maybe it's 20, 30% of our, our national audience, you know, the, the people. Where, where is it when the first time the other side was espoused on the Hallmark Channel that they weren't inundated by the millions of Christians who say, we aren't going to take this? Well, I don't do that. That might not be safe. I might lose friends. Sometimes there's a time to stand up, and I'm telling you, this is the time. But oftentimes when Jesus has invited us to go somewhere and we've said, no, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay over here in Perea. You know, it's, I, Jesus, you know, I understood what you said, and I've, I've got a biblical verse to support why I would stay here. You said Lazarus is going to be fine. So, you know, I'm using your own word. You said he was going to be fine. No need to go there because they're all good. So I'll just stay right here. And I got all John Baptist friends, and they're cooking us meals and taking care of us. And we're having a tremendous ministry here. People are responding to our message. It's great. I think, I, I think it makes more sense to stay here. So you stay here, and Jesus goes over here. He's on his way to Bethany. And you know what we have the nerve to do sometimes as Christians when we've done that? Is then one day when things aren't going very well and some of the Christian people we were serving meals to, they got mad at us because they, we put the, the wrong kind of dressing on their salad or something, you know, and they got all out of sorts and, you know, you're, oh, yeah. and then you, then you start praying and say, where is God? Well, he's over here in Bethany. You're the one that decided to stay there. 
And yet we have the hubris to look up at God and return our prayer life and say, God, where are you? You see, God left to go to a hot spot in Bethany. But we chose to remain behind in our understanding and in our safety. You know, some really powerful quotes in application. First, let me make a couple applications and I'll be done this morning. First, in application to our own country, this issue about safety. I'm so tired of our founders, though they were flawed men. I think the practice of slavery is hideous, sinful, wicked, and wrong. But it's easy to do those, cast those stones. And a lot of people say, well, we can't, we got to throw out our, take all the monuments down to Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. And I'm like, you know, Christians buy into that stuff too. And I'm going, well, you know, at least in their day, they, what they were not doing is going to women who were pregnant and slicing up their babies in the womb. They weren't doing that. Now, I'm not trying to, they're both evil things. I'm just saying we're flawed men. But I will tell you one thing, I'm tired of them getting, we, we could use some men with some of the backbone and wisdom that some of our founders had. This is what Thomas, or Thomas, excuse me, this is what Ben Franklin said. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And as Americans, as we continue to give up essential liberty, we are going to find that to be truth. If you want me to bring it to a little bit more of modern times, you know, I, one of my favorite guys, uh, probably one of my favorite, my, I guess my favorite politician to quote would be Rinaldus Magnus. Uh, Ronald Reagan said this, there is no security, no safety in the appeasement of evil. He right. And we need not to find our hope in politicians per se, as you've heard me say it many times, America has the government that America chose and America deserves. But the problem with our country and why we're struggling so much is not begin to be solved first politically. It just doesn't. Now, you know me, I'm not afraid to engage in social issues and I'm not afraid, I'm tired of being told as a pastor that, you know, Oh, you guys got to no, know, I have a First Amendment right, and bless God, I'm going to use it. And if God gives me a pulpit, I'm going I'm to stand up for traditional marriage. I'm going to stand up for the life of the unborn. I'm going to stand up for liberty and freedom. I just am. Um, people say, oh, you're a Republican. No, I'm not. I'm a conservative constitutionalist. That's who I am. Um, but this problem begins in the house of God. I would put a lot of the blame in people in my profession to start with. You know, um, sometimes even when in the way I pay my taxes and I talk to my accountant and stuff, I've learned that a lot of the major denominations today, they look at guys like me as just an employee of the church. If you don't know this, I'm not an employee of the church. I'm a subcontractor to Open Door. Uh, Every year we renew our agreement with each other because my boss is this guy, him. He's who I follow, and then I lead here. But a lot of pastors around our country, it's become a job. And you go to some, I'm always amazed. You go to some of these, you go to Princeton or Harvard, and they have theological schools. They don't believe one word of the word of God that it's reliable, but they graduate all these guys with seminary degrees that go out into ministry. They don't even believe the Bible. I don't understand it. Well, come to find out the reason they do it is because the work isn't hard. 
because they're not really engaging that much and they get paid an amazing amount of money. However, um, the safe way is not the easy way. Remember in the Old Testament, God told Elijah to go to King, wicked King Ahab, told the prophet Elijah who'd been chased around by Jezebel, and he says, go, go find the King Ahab, get in his face and tell him he's the one that's causing the problems and there's going to no, be no rain for three years. Think that was safe? How about Jeremiah, who was commanded to preach the coming destruction of Jerusalem? Be like me running around town all day saying, you know, Prattville and Montgomery is about to be destroyed in the next few days, you know, though it's going, to, it's going to be wiped out. How popular would that be? And Jeremiah was instructed by God to preach that, uh, that the enemies of the Babylonians were going to come and wipe them all out, and he preached it in the streets, he preached it in the temple, and he preached it in the palace. And he got persecution and suffered in the streets and in the temple and in the palace, ended up in the dungeon. It wasn't safe. Daniel, who's a public figure, a powerful public figure in the government of, of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and yet, remember how he was, the, the, the king makes the decree that no one can pray except to him, and Daniel, in his own conviction, opens up his window so everybody can see him, his adversaries can see him. He gets on his knees and he prays to God Jehovah. Ends up in the lion's den. Wasn't very safe. Peter Crucified upside down, wasn't very safe. Barnabas, Paul, John, Luke, Timothy. Any of these guys have a safe road? None. And yet somehow we think, well, you know, that's just Bible times. Do you think all the work that Brother Ojo does in Nigeria is safe? I think Brother Mike Jones can tell you differently. Do you think our friend Brahanu in Ethiopia and Pastor Hashu, Pastors Bethel Baptist, the church on back there and... Pastor uh, Tashidi and Pastor Naguru, who, are, who pastor the other church that's under construction right now that we're building, they're in the south part of Ethiopia in a Muslim-dominated area and wars are break out. And You think it's safe? The other night, matter of fact, it was just last night because really some of this is extra this morning. I really wasn't planning on saying a lot I'm saying, so if it's for you or you're watching the line, probably for you. Middle night, God's talking to me last night, and I'm going, okay, God, I'm listening. You want to change up what you want me to say? Then have at it because, you know, I, I, I was reminded. I had a flashback from the, the day before when I was enjoying uh, Borden milk. Has, does that make you want a nice cold milk? I was having donut heaven donuts. You, you got to have milk, right? I know that my wife tells me that it's bad for autoimmune diseases and it causes inflammation. Um, you know. Now her and my son are drinking fermented milk and saying it's good for your gut. I'm just totally confused. So I'm just, I'm just going back. But I, I, I love that. You know, I see a little bottle like that, and I don't know about you, but milk's got to be cold for me. Anybody out there? Nice and cold. And get me some donut heaven donuts, and man, I'm, I'm woo! That's as, good, that's as good as it gets on this side I, I am not suffering for Jesus there now I might be suffering later when the sugar spike <laughs> causes me problems but you know sometimes you just weigh the balance and off you go but I, I, I had this bottle of milk and I was drinking it and as I looked at it for some reason my eyes just went right back to the Borden logo and I know some of you know this but probably many of you do not you know the Borden milk company has been making milk for a long time 120, 140 years probably. 
it was founded by the Borden family. And one of their sons, William, was an heir to the Borden Empire. Well, he came to faith in Christ, and he said, I'm not going to go into the family business, and I renounce all the money. Matter of fact, I got a picture of a newspaper clipping. Young millionaire renounces world to be missionary. William Borden makes darkest China the scene of his life work. Do you know what a million dollars was worth back in the 1860s and 1870s? That's probably like a billion today. He walks away from a billion dollars to go to China to be a missionary. Well, you imagine his family wasn't very happy and his dad told him, threatened him and said, if you don't change your mind about this, I don't care when you do, you're not, even if you come back, you're never going to even work for us again. And the amazing thing about the story of William Borden is on his way to China, he decided to make a, turn, a stopover in Egypt because he had a desire to reach the Muslims as well. So he went there, he said, I'm going to learn Arabic and do some translating in with gospel tracts and the gospel of John into Arabic. So he goes to Egypt and while he's in Egypt he gets, I think meningitis, he gets some kind of sickness and he dies. He never even gets to China. Now, I'm telling you, probably most of you in here today are thinking, what a waste. He didn't even accomplish anything. I think Jesus is going to see it a little bit differently on the judgment day. Because when they went to get his body and they collect his things, they got his personal Bible. And in his personal Bible, there were three dates. The date he decided to surrender all and leave the money. The date that his dad threatened he could never come back and work for him again. And then the date that he said he was very sick and didn't know if he was going to make it. And in his Bible, under each of those things were these famous words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Just saying. You know, I think in modern times, this still lives on. I remember some years ago, I think it was 2014 or so, when there was the Ebola virus, remember over there in West Africa? And a group of missionaries under, it's called the SIM Missionary Organization, they have like 4,000 volunteers that go into dangerous places to share faith in Christ. And here's Dr. Rick Sacra. Um, I think I have a picture of him, there he is. While he was there ministering to folks in, I think it was Liberia, that had Ebola. Here he is, a medical doctor. Has it made? Goes to Liberia and contracts Ebola himself. Now, I, I'm going to give you a little news flash. COVID is nothing compared to Ebola. That's a real issue. I'm sorry. If COVID is a real issue, I'm going to get misquoted. In comparison, all right, if you understand, I don't want to get, so save the... My, my, my stalkers, there you go. Um, but you know what's amazing to me? He, they flew him back to the States in critical condition. He went to the hospital like in New York. And 
on a couple months of recovery, the month that he gets out, he goes back to Liberia. And people said, you are out of your mind. What in the world are you doing? People said, you, you, you got it made. Stay in, the safe, stay in America. And he said, no, that's not what God called me to do. And as I read his story on their organization's website, he said, as I, here's his quote, as I got to know older missionary doctors and people who have devoted their lives to this kind of service, they don't regret it. They don't say, I've given up so much and what do I have? Instead, they say, look at the treasured relationships I have. Look at the little thing I've been able to do and God has used it and multiplied it. There's nothing as rewarding as that. I just want to challenge you this morning. The invite from Jesus is not to stay in the comfort zone. I don't know if it's an issue in your family. I don't know if it's an issue in your own personal life. You, you may have a huge battle internally. You may have, uh, boy, there's just issues that all of us have. You, it may be that you know God's calling you to do something. You know, I, I don't know, where, where are the folks that are surrendering to full-time missions and surrendering to the ministry? Where, where, where is it happening? I don't believe it's that Jesus isn't calling people. What is God calling you to do? I'm going to stop this morning by getting myself in really big trouble. You think I've gotten myself in trouble up to this point? I'm about to get myself in more trouble. But I believe God wants me to say what I'm about to say, so I'm going to say it. Okay? Are we clear? Jenny, will you protect me? Okay. Because it's not about you this time. Yeah, I am, I am humbled at what God has used our above average sized church. But for many years, we were below average sized church. You say, what's average sized church? 80 people. So we're really, we're launching into mid-sized territory. But it's humbling to me what God has done. The hundreds of thousands of dollars that through just regular people like you, we've been able to send to missionaries. The buildings, whether it's an orphanage, whether it's these churches in Burma and Ethiopia and in, in the Philippines. I was telling them in the other night at our men's meeting, um, I, I don't understand it. I look at these things and I see the, these, the, this report I told the guys, I'll tell you that, you know, so far to year to date, we're about $90,000 we've given away this year to year to date. $90,000. It's about a third of our income, and it's been tighter this year. But we're here. And I told the guys, I said, only thing I can say is glory to God. You see, 15 years ago when we came here, Things were tenuous at best. Correct, Matt and Michelle, who were here, and Wanda was here. Some of you were originals. There were many times they didn't know the church was going to stay open. And then Jen and I, the Lord, through a set of circumstances, 
pushes us and we follow the invite. I had people tell me we were crazy to come to Central Alabama where pastors go to die because you Alabama people are terrible people. Um, You are my people. Um, And we got here and I challenged them. I said, listen, if I'm going to come, I'm not interested. I don't think it's wrong to be dual employed. You know, some guys are, they work a regular job and then they pastor. Honor, total honor to those guys if that's what God's call is. But I knew for me that was not what God wanted me to do. And I told them that. I said, I need some kind of livable wage. And they said, okay. If you believe it, we'll believe it. We got five grand in the bank and we'll, we'll pay this week's salary and we'll see what happens, right, man? And we said, treasure, man, that's what we'll do. And here we are, 15 years later, God's always provided. But those first few years, when there was, on a Sunday morning, there was 20, 25 of us here, this would be a huge crowd. I'd have been pumped, you know, back in the 15 years ago. Instead of saying, oh, this is half the crowd, half our church is missing, you know, it's all right, you guys are here, it's all good. But I didn't understand in those early years, I kept, I kept thinking, man, we made budget, we, barely, we made budget, we made budget, the lights are on, you know, praise God, praise God. And the first few years, it was really, you know, I prayed literally every single week, God, just give us enough finances to get by and survive another week. Give us this day our daily week. I can modify the, the prayer a little bit. But as I got closer to the people in the church that were there, um, one of my heroes began to arise. And that's Miss Karen sitting back there. She's going to kill me for talking about her, but I'm going to do it anyway. Most of you know Karen worked in the medical field had a good job. And I'm certainly not going to share anything personal because I don't want to risk too far. I'll go out to the edge and jump a little, but I'm not going to go all the way over. But I will tell you this, that she gave an inordinate percentage of her whole income to keep this church going. And she doesn't always understand when I tell her how much, you know, I appreciate it. And she's at a different point in her life now. She can't work like that anymore. And so, oh, I, I feel bad. I, you, you feel bad about what? Exactly. And I know people would tell her, and she'd talk to me, and I'd say, people are thinking I'm crazy and out of my mind. And I'm glad in the early days I didn't know. I may have went to you and said, don't do that, don't do that. But I will promise you this. There'll be a day in glory where the thousands, the thousands of people that were reached for Christ through this ministry <laughs> walk right back to one widow lady who said, yeah, I'll follow. How about it? Are you following? Lord, I thank you for your time this morning and I thank you for the powerful truth you laid on my heart this week and convicted me personally of my desire always to have the easy way out and God you've blessed us as Americans beyond measure and Lord we're so thankful for it but God I pray that each believer that's here this morning 
if there's some area of their life that there's this battle and they know there's an area that God, you're saying, you need to deal with this issue in your life. You need to make some changes here. This is the right way. You say, oh, but I'll be, I'm scared and I don't, I don't understand. That's the point of faith. And following that invite is where you'll get to know God. Yeah, it might be hard. Yeah, there's some things that might go wrong. But Jesus will be there and you'll be with him. Maybe you're listening today and you don't know you're on your way to heaven. My dear friend, would you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? He died on a cross for your sins and he rose again that he could offer you eternal life. The Bible simply says, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you believe on him for everlasting life today? Would you trust him as your Savior? Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for moving in my heart this week and I pray for the one that's here this morning. Maybe there's a teenager that knows that you're calling him into some kind of ministry. Maybe there's an adult that there's something that you know that, that you're calling to do. God, I pray you'd bring that conviction really strong, really clear on what you'd have him to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me? We're gonna sing a verse of invitation this morning as we pray. If you wanna to come to the front and pray about the decision you might have made this morning, I'd invite you to do that. Um, you say, oh, I can do